When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning. We are live on the Coast to Coast Football Podcast. Every Friday morning at 9 o'clock, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Um, we've got lots to talk about today. Halfway through the season already, we've got draft information coming up. We've got trade deadline. We've got coaches getting the axe. We've got all kinds of stuff. First off, I want to say my name is Scott Kennedy. I go by Scout Kennedy on the old Twix machine. You can find me there. I'm in Atlanta. This guy over here, Nick Kendall, he is in Seattle. So we are coast to coast with your football coverage. Nick, how are you doing this morning, my friend? Thank you for getting up nice and early with us. Doing pretty well. Had a first baby course last night so that was pretty fun a little infant cpr so i'm scared straight uh right now after all that stuff so that's fun um everything's a choking hazard so that's 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 always good and it was a three-hour course so i'm uh i've not been in the classroom for a while so uh i'm recovering right now that's all i could say i'm doing well you just got to remember that there's about six billion people on earth and we're actually fairly tough individuals despite the fact that we think everything is going to end our children's uh you know well-being out there so they uh we get along okay and as a gen xer you just have to think back to how we grew up yeah. you know laying flat against the against the car window what was a seat belt for goodness yeah. sakes you know for the feral kids roaming the roaming the world terrorizing in groups of eight to ten on our bicycles all across the county you're like yeah i, I try and remember that every so often when i get a little too parenting yeah yeah, 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 yeah we waste ourselves for god's sakes yeah it's uh it's coming though, so those classes will be here and there coming up in uh, the rest of November. So time's gonna fly by. I'm uh, I'm <laughs> excited, oh, but man, oh, it's God, a lot. We're way off the rails already, y'all. I apologize. Speaking of scared straight, <clears throat> it was biology class. I was in tenth grade, and they were doing like the meaning of life thing. You know, it was a sex education. I show this woman in labor. <clears throat> they're scrolling down and scrolling down and scrolling down, and I'm like, all right, they're gonna stop, right? I mean, we're kids. We can't see this. Nope. All the way down to that kid being born. I was 15. I did not have my first child until I was 36 years old. <laughs> I was scared straight for 20 years. We saw a video like that, but in fourth grade. Uh, so I was, I was very young. Yeah. I was, I was very just mortified. Like this looks like aliens. Ah! John Harrell coming in, keeping us straight here. We certainly appreciate it. Good morning, Scott, Nick and the crew. That's all y'all. Thanks for being here, John. Silas Draven, he's saying good morning, Falcons family. That's all y'all. And Dave is coming in. Good morning. He says, good morning, guys. Interesting and ironic podcast today. I know it's only a two-game sample size, 
but the Titans may have something there at quarterback. And he follows that up with a, a, a nice super chat. Appreciate it. He says, I'm, uh, I'm sure Falcons fan realize that finding the next franchise quarterback will not be easy. What, what, do you, what do you think about that, Nick? I mean, it's the golden ticket, right? If you, if you don't have that guy, you are wandering the desert for whatever many years. Uh, sorry, I don't remember my <laughs> religious reference there. But uh, that's, yeah, finding a franchise quarterback, teams can do it over and over again forever and, and not get it. So once you have one, I think you got to really d- definitely appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, it's not going to be easy. That said, some teams, you know, just consistently luck into it too. I mean, the, the Packers having the run of, you know, star back a long time ago, obviously, but then, you know, Favre and Rogers made, looks like now they're actually dealing with it. I mean, Packers fans, I mean, it's kind of, it's not to take too much, joy on their pain but like they're freaking out it's like oh my god we're the worst ever this is what it's like yeah, and i've been there. this is how the rest of us feel between <laughs> quarterbacks you don't get three quarterbacks for 50 years no of, of of that level that's uh it's pretty insane it's almost like it's a little bit like the steelers i think the steelers have only had three coaches in 100 years <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that for most of us no. uh most of us out there dave certainly appreciate it um <clears throat> i'll tell you one thing that bothers me dave amongst the the fandom out there is this thought amongst a lot of people. And I don't see this with Desmond Ritter really at all. There's some of it out there though, that simply if you just give a quarterback enough time, he will automatically become the guy. Well, we gave up on him too early or we didn't develop him. My God, most of these guys just aren't ever going to be good enough. That's not their fault. This is a tough damn game. More time. Isn't going to put in what God left out. It's, it's just, the way you know, you, you see, you're willing to be more patient with when you see the tools out there and you see the ability, okay, maybe it'll click, but it's a, it's a win now type of game. And a lot of these guys just flat out aren't going to make it no matter what, how much time you, you give them. Yeah. It's uh that's the reality of it. I mean, a lot of times fans will really dig in their heels because the, you know, the faith is run strong uh, with especially highly drafted quarterbacks. And oh, you just got to do this, 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 and this, and then they'll be good. Well, if you have to give all these, you know, variables and parameters for them to succeed, maybe they aren't actually that good. Uh, a lot of times you can tell within the first year what they're going to be. Uh, you don't see guys really a lot of times take cr- drastic turnarounds based on what they have shown uh, so far. I mean, we talk about Will Levis already. The stats haven't been great, but you've seen the flashes and that Tennessee offensive line is dreadful. I mean, Andre Dillard, uh, if you want Will Levis to enjoy the rest of his life, get Andre Dillard off of left tackle. My God, uh, he is dreadful. Uh, but yeah, it's typically you can tell pretty early on. And it doesn't mean that, you know, again, Ritter is not going to be a good quarterback or a serviceable quarterback, but is he going to be a franchise level quarterback or an elite quarterback? The future's not written, but I would say it's highly, highly, highly improbable yeah, it, based on what we've seen. There's obviously exceptions to the rule, um, but, you know, trying to hit on a, Day two, day three quarterback is hard. It's mm-hmm. how many of those guys you have to go through to finally get to one. You know, yeah. well, Tom Brady, on a small enough sample size, I'll prove any any anything you want to. I'll go to Walmart and find a guy stocking groceries and I'm gonna get my Super Bowl MVP. That's where you need to find them, right? Kurt Warner, you know, that's it's insane. It was high V. It was high. I know what it was, but I can never remember high V, and nobody from south of wherever the hell you're from knows what the hell a high V is. Oh, I miss high V. <laughs> uh, that was the best. Um, sp- sponsors the Iowa Iowa State game and Iowa Nebraska. But uh, I digress. Uh, like I yeah. said, as yeah, I yeah, would yeah. say, 
I always like to say just a little bit more mathy uh, on that. Your your numerator is only as good as your denominator, yeah. right? So like if you have one out of a billion, so you're saying there's a chance. Well, that's the reason there's all these busts in the first round at quarterback. Well, look around the league. I mean, maybe because Tom Brady won half the Super Bowls for 20 years, <laughs> it's like, oh, first rounders don't win. Bit. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, that kind of messes with the sample size a little bit. Maybe you should look at the broader sample size like we talked about, I think, Wednesday, Scott, looking at teams that make the division championships. A lot of first-round quarterbacks. I mean, even in the last decade, how many quarterbacks drafted outside of round one are quality, quality starters right now? I mean, you have Brock Purdy. He's, I, I don't even know if I'd call him quality, quality. Yeah, we're, we're, the, the jury's still out on Brock Purdy. The, the sample size is starting to balance out a little bit. Jalen Hurts was a early second. Yes, Hurts, Dak Prescott. After that, I can't think of any in the last decade that have been drafted. You had Kirk Cousins, who was drafted over a decade ago. I think Derek Carr was drafted over a decade ago now. You have Russell Wilson, definitely drafted over a decade ago. I mean, the NFL is actually pretty good at identifying the haves and have-nots. It's just that in the first round, you're still dealing with a you know 50-50 coin flip. It's just better than a you know one out of trying to roll a Yahtzee, I guess, essentially. My other favorite ones, you can't take a quarterback from that school. They've never won a Super Bowl. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. Between Troy Aikman, um, Joe Montana, and Tom Brady, there's about a third of the Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love it, too. There's, there's about a third. Out of 50, you've got maybe yeah. 35, maybe 30 schools have won Super Bowls. Before Patrick Mahomes, there had not been a single quarterback from the Big 12 to win an NFL playoff game. Big 12, it's been around for a bit. The playoff game at all? At all. I'm claiming Troy Aikman for that one. He went to Oklahoma. I think they were the big eight then. Uh, but no. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's, uh, that's it's crazy. It's, it, is, it is wild. And, you know, that's why you don't helmet scout. I mean, that's, we saw that with another example of that was uh, uh, the Tedford quarterbacks. Oh, they all bust. You know, Dilfer, whatever, Aaron Rodgers is going to suck because he's a Tedford quarterback. Well, <laughs> he played pretty damn well there for a bit. Uh, definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. So, yeah individuals right it's about yeah. the individual well, scout the player not the uniform etc cetera, etc cetera. um you take scheme into it again you take scheme into it a little bit because stats don't matter you know mm -hmm. I, I do want to see touchdown interception ratio i do want to see decision making and, and all that will play into stats yeah but again it's 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 very different offenses coming out of college mark schrader always good for us he says good morning good morning for you good to you Tyler Brooks says, good morning. Can this team honestly make a Super Bowl run this year? Tyler, you're coming in on my generic Facebook page. I think I remember, you know, we see you enough that you're Broncos fan, not Falcons, but I am not positive on that one. I think the answer is <laughs> the same. That said, I don't think either one of them are making a Super Bowl run. The answer is no. Yeah. I mean, the NFL is wide open this season, but I feel like both teams have enough holes uh, that you probably are not going to see a Super Bowl run. I would say the Falcons have a better shot just because you're not going to have to go through a gauntlet of unbelievable quarterbacks to get there. Uh, not, not to, you know, obviously trying to get through Dallas and Eagles is going to be hard, Detroit. But uh, I think uh, the Falcons do have a shot. Uh, defense playing well. If run game gets hot in the cold weather games, uh, certainly possible. But Super Bowl run, I mean, listen. Super get Bowl contenders for me right now, Nick. I'm looking at standings. AFC, Dolphins, Bills, Ravens, Jaguars. I would put the Jaguars in there, honestly, as a team capable of winning it. Chiefs. Uh, NFC, Eagles, Easy. Cowboys, Lions, 49ers. We got the 49ers in there. You did not say the Chiefs? Um, I said, I, if I didn't, I meant to. 
Okay, because there's five yeah. teams in the AFC. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I, I didn't. I'm into. I for I for uh, Dolphins, Bills, Ravens, Jaguars. Oh, I didn't go down to the Chiefs. There's another mm-hmm. division. Chiefs five. Yeah. So I, I didn't say the Chiefs. I, I finished with Jaguars. I meant Chiefs. Absolutely. That was just a mistake on my part. Man, it's all good. Uh, the one. Did you say the Cowboys? I did. Okay, Cowboys. The one that I'm not sure about right now that I'm you know enjoying watching. You mentioned the Eagles. Uh, you mentioned the Lions. I'm still TBD on the the Seahawks. Uh, that's one yeah, that I didn't say Seahawks. They're like just on. I mean, they play the Ravens this week, right? If they go in there and like play up a tough against the Ravens, uh, we might have something here. Geno Smith is playing so good. Uh, Seth Waldron, their offensive coordinator. I mean, his scheme is he's a Shanahan disciple, so he might actually you know just from that title right get some looks this offseason. But they're doing some good things. I mean, what he's done with Geno Smith, they're explosive. They've played almost the entire season without their tackles. And they're still out there doing it. I mean, that's a uh, Seahawks are an interesting team. And it hurts me because they're, you know, the Russell Wilson situation to say that here, but they're, they're a fun team too. So borderline, I wouldn't have them there, but we'll see what happens. Jacqueline Ga- Galloway coming in with a super uh, sticker over on YouTube. Thank you so much for the support of the show, Jackie. Appreciate you coming in. And Tyler, I thought you were a Broncos fan, uh, clarifies Broncos fan. No, uh, I've been harping all week about the Denver Broncos that they've turned the corner but that means they're headed in the right direction. If they beat the Bills in Buffalo, I'll start considering the playoff team. Um, but until then, they they dug themselves too big a hole um, that they have to win this game now, really, to be a playoff team. Or you fall to three and six, and you're in you're in deep trouble. Um, but no, I, I don't consider this team a Super Bowl contender, no matter what. That 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 would be. That'd be something. I mean, if you go out and beat Kansas City and the Bills in back-to-back weeks, I guess you would be a Super Bowl contender. But, oh, man, that seems crazy. That seems crazy. Um, Let me see. we got some old Gen X conversations in here, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Um, Smart Ride comes in. <clears throat> I believe he's talking Falcons here. He says, Scott and Nick, great morning. Our fans need to realize rebuilding isn't easy and you can't get stuck on one guy. The organization has a major problem with drafting and hiring. It could be a long ride. That fits for a lot of people. We could be talking Chicago Bears. We could talk about the Detroit Lions finally turning the corner. We could be looking at the Arizona Cardinals who have been stuck in the quagmire for a long time. We could be talking about the Las Vegas Raiders. Speaking of which... Nick, in this case, I think we're talking about the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. Um, the big one of the big news, I, I would say this qualifies as the biggest news. We've had our first firing of the year with Josh McDaniels out in Las Vegas. And that he got fired isn't really a surprise. That he got hired to begin with 18 months ago or whatever it is should have been a surprise because he's been such a failure outside of New England, wherever he's set foot, and he keeps getting chances and people keep paying him a ton of money. And it's it's just in, it's just insanity. It really is. I'm happy for the Las Vegas Raiders fans that you are out from under that cloud. But if Mark Davis is still making those types of decisions, it's going to be tough to get better. They're in a weird situation, too, because they are not a cash-rich franchise. They actually might be one of the poorest in the NFL. I mean, one of the reasons that they had to move Cleo Mack was because they didn't have the ability to put the money in furlough to pay him that huge contract. And the, they're paying Gruden. Now they're going to have to pay McDaniels a lot of money for years now, which hamstrings them too. So despite, you know, being in Vegas and that beautiful new stadium and everything, they don't really have the money to 
throw money at things to fix problems. Hire way out of problems. Hire way out of problems. But also, you know, build the infrastructure, you know, the training facilities, the scouting staff. I mean, the we're talking about a team that has probably less resources than most of the top college teams right here at the, at the NFL. So it, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to follow them still. I mean, you can be – the Bengals are kind of in the similar situation. They're not really a cash-rich franchise, but once you hit that quarterback, things can reset there and you get a shot there. So uh, they're a totally dysfunctional team. I have no love for Josh McDaniels. Um, you can tell still, I you know, don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's uh, with The Denver stuff was rough, and you know, he's always been a little bit – cocky so a wonderkind if you will uh but uh that's a uh he's out now i'm a little surprised at the timing of this the thing that really doesn't make sense is you fire him you fire uh dave ziegler the general manager but you sit there at the trade deadline with all these expensive older assets you don't move any of them i mean this is a team that needs to probably i mean we talk about a lot with the broncos but like the raiders need to freaking trade it tear it down too uh so I mean, Devontae Adams, he's not happy there. Josh Jacobs wanted to be gone all offseason. Uh, you, you have some assets that would fetch some stuff on the market as well. So I don't know. I don't know what the Raiders are doing. As long as Mark Davis is owning them, they're probably going to be a volatile, erratic franchise. Uh, so I guess that's great because I don't like the Raiders one bit. Uh, but it is uh, they're definitely a disarray, disorganized franchise. This is kind of an unfair question because you typically do know this stuff but thing is so do i and this still caught me by surprise so i'm cheating here i'm, I'm leading the witness okay. who's their highest cap hit player in 2023 for the raiders highest cap hit player i'm uh, dark the dark horse would be Derek carr with the dead cap yeah no but just plain cap hit not okay. not dead but plain cap hit uh colton miller colton miller Oh, I know he right. signed a big contract. Yeah, you got it right. No, their their dead caps right now are twelve and a half. Chandler Jones, Derek Carr's only five. Um, you know when they signed him, that that deal was not what it was meant out to be. They could absolutely move on, but Colton Miller has a seventeen seven uh, cap hit. Devontae Adams is only at fourteen with a base salary of six. Um, those escalate. I would have to imagine those are going to escalate in a big way moving to twenty twenty four and being able to get out from under him. Speaking of escalation, Jimmy G's dead cap hit moves up to 28, and his cap hit is 28.5 next year. Devontae Adams' cap hit moves up to 25. Max Crosby's cap hit moves up to 25. Um, now, how old is uh, Max Crosby? I think you're you know you're still going to want to hang on to him for as long as you possibly can. He's just 26 years old. You could have another 10 years of Max Crosby, but Devontae Adams, on the other hand, is someone you probably could have moved as well. So if we're picking winners and losers. From the trade deadline, could throw in the Raiders. Could throw the Raiders in there. Now we talked mm -hmm. beginning of the show and in the in the uh, before we get into some draft stuff, we wanted to talk some trade deadline. I guess the biggest newsmakers were probably the Washington Commanders. Let's start in San Francisco. San Francisco sent a third round pick, which is probably going to be in the eighty five to ninety range. I think it was a compensatory pick, so it's going to be in the 95 range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it was even their comp pick, which is at the very end of the third round, no matter what, where they finish. I'm pretty so sure. So it was in the 95 range. Um, good move for the San Francisco 49ers, even though that it's a rental of sorts with the possibility of of re-signing, having ex you know, exclusive negotiations. Um, I, I think this is a good move for, for the, the, the 49ers. It's pretty low risk and there's some good reward there with Chase Young. 
I mean, they could even, if he played, he's playing Scott. I know that we kind of talked about this, but from the tape that I watched, the tools and the traits look like they're back. Um, for me watching him, his uh, advanced stats, like his pass rush win rate and his pressures, like based on his snap count have been all about in the top 10 in the NFL so far this season. I mean, he looks like he could take off, but then after the fact you have, I want to say it was Mike Silver uh, came out a longtime NFL reporter who has a lot of connections to the commanders and uh, Ron Rivera talking about how there were some issues with chase young kind of going rogue on plays, not playing within the defense, you know, kind of chasing stats versus, okay, you need to set the edge here. Okay. He's cutting inside looking to try to get pressure rather than doing that. Well, guess what? Then you're getting whipped on the outside there and you're not doing your assignment and the whole thing falls apart from run def- from a run defense approach. So apparently there were some issues there. Um, we'll see what happens going forward. I know the 49ers have his name's escaping me right now, but the 49ers have an absolutely fantastic defensive line coach um, who is very well uh, thought of Chris Corrick, uh, Kokarik. Um, I know I've seen that name many times. He's somebody who's considered a great up and comer and has done a lot of good stuff with defensive line. It's also a defensive line that has many other dudes on it. That'll keep him in line. I mean, you got his former college uh, teammate who went one or two drafts before him and Nick Bosa. Uh, you got Javon Hargrave who's seen the thing or two now uh, signed that huge contract. Eric Armstead has been there too. So Chase Young, Chase Young doesn't have to be the savior of the guy. He just has to go out there and again, do your job. And those guys will get on him if he doesn't. So, uh, I think it's a low risk trade. And if he plays well, guess what, Scott, they let him go. They're going to get a, like, what they traded for him back in a comp pick. So, uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, yeah, it's that's crazy. True. They, have, they have a ton of money in free agency, so they might not be able to get him back because they might sign some of their own free agents. But that, that is a good point on playing the comp pick game. want to come back to, uh, Montez Sweat, but I want to take care of Troy here, who's taking care of us with a super chat. Going to jump you right to the top of the queue. He says, hey, guys, how do some coaches like Mike Tomlin, Pittsburgh Steelers, seem to get teams with different players every year to play well? Scheme, motivation, culture, adapting to player skills. I would say all of that, plus your scouting department. You know, when you've got your scheme and culture in place, and you've got guys out there looking for players that, you know, that that will fit in. And you've got, I mean, what I'm saying is when you've got scouts out there who know exactly what you're looking for to help you be successful, it makes it easier. And um, it goes beyond the scheme. Uh, as you mentioned, it's the culture, too. I mean, how many times in this, when we're doing the draft show, Scott, we're like, this guy feels like a Steeler. This guy feels like a Baltimore Raven. Raven. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, really. I mean, it's just, it is an identity. And the fact that they've had such consistency over the years they you mentioned the scouts know exactly the type of person the traits that they're looking for uh the the measurables the scheme fit down to the wire and that matters over years the teams that really just can't get it right are the ones that are revolving doors at quarterback okay we're playing a three four uh cover three base defense no actually we're going now more to a four two five Vic Fangio defense we're running the Shanahan West Coast no actually we're going to do more a little power spread here mismatching year after year well this guy used to fit but now he's at one draft class away and guess what he's worthless now because he was an off-ball cornerback drafted third round uh so that's Definitely something to it. I also think that Tomlin does a great job of identifying coaches and putting coaches in good position to succeed historically. Uh, the one caveat here is that while the Steelers have been good, it's kind of like the Bill Belichick thing. When they were great, they were tied to a Hall of Fame level quarterback. So, I, I mean, coaches do matter, Scott. Or obviously, I do believe that too. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the guy at center, it's going to be pretty right. damn hard in the NFL. But for me though, they haven't had that guy for a long time. Um, Cause Roethlisberger at the end of his career, wasn't 
that guy. Yeah, um, and they were they've been good, but not they've yeah. Been. He was he was playing well, but he wasn't where he was in his prime. But they were yeah. still winning games. So I feel like growing up with the Atlanta Hawks in the '80s, there was a 50 win team, a second round out, but they could never get over the hump of the Boston Celtics to the Detroit Pistons to the um, to the Chicago Bulls. The Steelers are kind of in that spot right now where they're good because they've got a good nucleus. They've got a great coach. You can take a couple chances on a guy like George Pickens, who comes in with motivational concerns. That's why he falls to the second round and drop him in a culture where he's going to have to rise or get out like the Steelers. Now compare them with say the Cincinnati Bengals under Marvin Lewis. Anytime there was a discipline problem, kid, they all went to Cincinnati and it was hard. That was, that was unsustainable. But when you've got Mike Tomlin, there, a player's coach who's going to be fair and is in charge they're, they play better than the sum of their parts right now. Now I just wonder, Nick, can you bring in enough players to the Steelers to take advantage where they can finally get, where they can get back over that hump and be an AFC contender again? Because right now I just think of them as a perennial 10 and 7 team first round out because they don't have the horses to beat the the AFC superpowers right now. Don't have the horses. I think Kenny Pickett is just okay um, from what I've seen. I don't think he's a difference maker. And he's one of those ones. It's kind of like Daniel Jones-esque where it's like, okay, he's on his rookie contract. We can maybe do some things around him with his rookie contract, but he's definitely not looking like a quarterback that is going to be worthy of a good second contract. Now, things can change, obviously. And also, they are – the Pittsburgh Steelers fans hate their offensive coordinator in Matt Canada. Um, they hate him, and he's – not very good either. So uh, that's a, we'll see what happens here with Kenny Pickett in that offense. The Steelers defense though is good. They're old though, man also. So I, I'm curious to see what happens uh, with the Steelers going forward. Uh, that's a team secondary. Wasn't very good. They're very active in the trade market looking for cornerbacks as well. I know they were a team that uh, called multiple times about Sertan and Simmons in on Jalen Johnson from the bears as well. So uh, active, aggressive team. We'll see how they play out this year. They just feel middle of the pack to me it's a really cool stat where the pittsburgh steelers and under mike tomlin i don't think have ever had a losing season but they're drafting in the teens constantly I almost need that one tank year mm-hmm. <laughs> that one tank year where they get that top two or three guy who's just an absolute franchise difference maker you know i'll, I'll never forget the spurs with david robinson have their tank year and they get tim duncan and put him next to, to david robinson and now you've got you know multiple championships coming along I love that they've, I think it's amazing and I don't want them to lose, but I just feel like I mentioned the Hawks who are always stuck in that purgatory, always good, but never good enough. It's going to take a little luck hitting on some, some mid rounds, later round guys, but the, the culture, the Mike Tomlin and, and it has built that culture. The Rooney family has built that culture mm-hmm. uh, for years and years and years and years and years. You know, we mentioned yeah. the quarterback culture with the Green Bay Packers. We'll talk about, the coaches, I mentioned the coaches, you know, I can think of three coaches, Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin. That's like 50 years of coaches right there. Um, it's pretty amazing. So yeah. big fan of what the Steelers do um, overall. Um, Alberto coming in. He says, good morning, fellas. That Chelsea shirt, Scott. Sorry, Manchester fan here. That's okay. I wouldn't expect you to unfan somebody. Be a Manchester fan. Not sure which one. If he's saying Manchester, he probably means United. There are the, the old heads there, and they wouldn't say if you were a city fan, you'd qualify with Manchester City. But 
we're Manchester United. So we don't have to say we own Manchester. That's hasn't quite felt like that lately, but it's still, uh, I still know what, uh, what that means in Manchester, England. Uh, let me scroll down here as we get to the chat a little bit. Um, Dave has a question about uh, Desmond Ritter. He says, can you guys name one special trait that Desmond Ritter has shown so far? This coming from um, from a fan that truly likes the dude. No, I can't. They're, they're, when you say special, you know what is there that is plus plus about Desmond Ritter? And, and to be fair, most quarterbacks don't have those traits. That doesn't make him unique. Uh, I mean, there's only can... a few of them out there that do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're. I agree. I mean, I was gonna say even some of the all-time greats don't have that obvious plus physical trait. Now, granted, game has changed a little bit uh, out there. So, I mean, still looking for that if you can. But like Tom Brady, the pocket movement was unbelievable. I've never seen a quarterback navigate the pocket like he did. He does. Peyton Manning, the cerebral aspect, the pre-snap stuff. Uh, but as far as Ritter. Some of that cerebral stuff could come eventually, right? Some of the mental and the, the those attributes, but from a physical standpoint, the arm is probably, what would you say, a C minus from NFL standards in terms of strength? Maybe? Yeah, I'd say C just as average. Yeah. I think average is okay, but close enough that I wouldn't argue with C minus on that. Yeah, C minus the athleticism, the ability to be a, play, a physical playmaker is probably also a C plus C. I mean, he can run in the open field, but is he twitchy? No. Is he really strong strapping young lad in the pocket? No. Uh, that's a big one. Honestly, for me, I want to get him some hand grips. Yeah. God, you know, walk <laughs> around and just squeeze those things, squeeze that thing all, all the time. Yeah, exactly. I, so. After he fumbled again, I looked it up and he has 10 inch hands, which aren't huge hands, but they're big enough. Yeah. I shouldn't be able to just flick the ball out of his hand whenever I want to. More of a makes me wonder is more of a, just an outright strength thing than anything, or just, you know, being smart in the pocket, but yeah, I don't know if he has anything. Doesn't mean he can't be a good quarterback, especially on his uh, rookie contract. But the fact that they're going to uh, Heineke right now, and the fact that Heineke's stats, if efficiency data was like night and day, so much better again than Desmond Ritter in the last game, it'll be interesting to follow uh, going forward. This might uh, it's possible that Heineke takes it and runs with it for this season, uh, but we will see. One game at a time. Alberto follows up. Uh, he says, "You know that Taylor Heineke is not long term for the Falcons. Do you think Dak Prescott?" Would be a good fit in Arthur Smith's scheme. The Cowboys not might not need him next year. Yes, I think that Dak Prescott would be a great fit for Arthur Smith. No, I don't think there's any chance in Dak Prescott coming to Atlanta. He's going to be Dallas Cowboy next year. Why would that change? Yeah, I can't imagine any reason that he's not a uh, Cowboy next season. I know they traded for Trey Lance, but my understanding was that Trey Lance move was more about getting Dak insurance because Dak has had a few dings mm-hmm. here and there. But the 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 answer is still Dak. Uh, he's yeah. probably one of the more underrated quarterbacks in this draft class. I'll be, I'll be a quite Frank Scott. I was a huge Dak fan at Mississippi state too. I mean, if you can be a quarterback at a program like Mississippi state and have them ranked number one at any point in their program in the sec freaking West, I mean, God bless you. Dak was a, a dude out there. And uh, I think he's one of the more cerebral quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, they could use another weapon to take advantage of that uh, big brain that he plays with. But yeah, I know there's, there's no way the Cowboys should move on from him or get rid of get rid of him. He's probably the most underrated quarterback in the league. Yeah, his, his dead cap hit next year is still 61, and it'd be the last year of his contract. He's got some void years, but that to me screams extension slash restructure in order to to clear up some cap space. I don't think Dak Prescott's going anywhere. And yes, he would be a fantastic fit for pretty much any team that needs a quarterback. Would be the answer. Would be yes. 
uh, for, for Dak Prescott, Alberto. Appreciate the question. Michael Ranquillo coming in. Appreciate you, Michael. It is great to see you. He's coming in Broncos Orange with a $20 super chat. Y'all are killing it today, and it, it certainly makes us feel good. Says, good morning, Scott and Nick on Coast to Coast Football. Lots of love. Back at you, buddy. Hope you're doing well out in Arizona. Um, trade winners and losers. And then I want to jump into draft stuff. Uh, let's just finish with um, Montez Sweat to the Chicago Bears. Now, Seth Walder at ESPN Analytics and I, you know, he doesn't know who I am, but let's just say I've read his stuff. It's on ESPN. And I feel like I have more disagreements with what he has to write than just about anybody that's level-headed and isn't just out there trying to generate noise yeah he shillelagued the chicago bears for that for trading that pick gave him like a d minus saying you know this is a second year in a row they've given up draft picks for a team that wasn't going anywhere but for me and i will agree with him if they don't re-sign him but for me it gives you this to me was a trade for a young edge where they needed a pass rush that they plan on re-signing or they wouldn't have made that move. Yeah. So if you do that, then if it's going to cost you a second, would it have been any cheaper in the offseason? You know, it was still going to probably cost you a second-round pick. Oh, well, he would have been a free agent. Apologies. Uh, yeah. He would have been He would have been a free agent. Um, apologies. So you, pr- you might not have been able to get him if you didn't have the chance to work on him for, for the second half of the season. So is he worth a second-round pick and the money? He's a top-20 edge rusher, and this Bears team is really lacking, and he's probably a safer bet than to be a good player, obviously, than any of the draft picks right now. I don't think there there's not a true number-one edge uh, in this class, in my opinion, you know, a uh, – year transcendent you know that guy's a blue chip talent edge uh so i don't mind the move too much i mean it is expensive but the bears also have still are going to own the draft right with the the first two picks that they have in terms of the value of those selections and also now they have negotiating rights slash contractual rights with montez sweat there was rumors that he wanted to go to atlanta sorry falcons fans uh but bears picks obviously better than the falcons pick there with that Mm -hmm. second rounder and atlanta wasn't willing to give up that one because the quarterback situation. Uh, so now the Bears own him this season. He's a free agent at the end of the year, but they can tag him, and he'll be worth the tag for that. The Bears the Bears have so much cap space, it's going to be fine for them to use the tag. So that puts a little bit less leverage on him to be like, well, I was always going to go to – I wanted to go Atlanta anyway. Well, now you have to play on the tag for a year when we're offering you all this guaranteed money, and you might, you know, one play away from that dream being gone. So – they have that control over him. Well, we'll tag you, and we'll take we'll take Atlanta Falcons second round pick. Then, if you want to go, yeah. yeah, you know, so you you can get that back. But I, I think when you've got a guy in the room and you've got the ability to drop a hundred million dollars on him, he's probably gonna sign it. <laughs> he'll he'll probably sign it. But we'll find out just how badly he wants to get there. I want to say hello to Kenneth, and then we'll talk about some Dame Brugler's um, top prospects. Kenneth says Kurt Warner and Terrence Mathis have explained the Falcons problem. It's not a quarterback problem. It's an Arthur Smith problem or specifically play calling. Please check them out. Appreciate you, Kenneth. Kenneth, um, the, the problem I have with a statement like that is it's being stated like it's a fact. Now, this is mm-hmm. an opinion of Kurt Warner and Terrence Mathis, two guys I have a lot of respect for. But that makes it sound like that without a doubt, factual 100%, Desmond Ritter is the guy. And if it weren't for Arthur Smith, Desmond Ritter would be a Pro Bowl type quarterback, championship level caliber quarterback. We don't know that. Now, is Arthur Smith 
and his play calling holding Desmond Ritter back. Yeah, I can I could see some of that possibly. He might be in a, be better in a better system playing for Kyle Shanahan. But there's no guarantee anywhere that we have seen thus far that means all of a sudden, if it weren't for Arthur Smith, Desmond Ritter would be the guy. So I can't take that as fact because it is not. And to be fair, uh, shout out to Kurt Warner. Um, good guy. Met him a couple of times. He's from uh, Iowa. So actually, my dad used to work with his sister-in-law. So I Terrence have... is still around here. I used to work football camps with him. I love Terrence Mathis. Ran the yeah. best out route in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> It's not just a quarterback problem, obviously. It's uh, beyond that. Do you have any true like separators right now? You know, g- man beaters, if you will, uh, as players. Uh, I don't know. Does Desmond Ritter, you know, have enough trust to throw those guys that are closed open without putting the ball in harm's way at the same time? Maybe he doesn't have that confidence. Maybe he's not that guy. It, it's always more complicated than this is a hundred percent Desmond Ritter's fault or this is a hundred percent Arthur Smith's fault. Uh, you would hope that one of those guys is good enough that they can overcome the other one's lack of being the guy, I guess. But I think I've seen enough from Arthur Smith dealing with a variety of quarterbacks to say that I'm probably a little bit more uh, feeling safe with him and his competency than I am with Ritter. Uh, Ritter could still end up being a quality quarterback. I was, I'm honestly pretty surprised they're making the switch, even though Heineke did look better in the small sample size because we're still trying to figure it out with Ritter. I probably would have given him the next two games, especially uh, considering the Vikings defense has been terrible, although they're the number one blitz rate defense in the history of the NFL right now. <laughs> so maybe that's not uh, not good, but uh, I would have given him a little bit more time. But it's it's definitely more complicated than it's all this guy or it's all that guy. Arthur Smith had a lot of success with Ryan Tannehill, who was given the boot in Miami. Mm-hmm. He has had more success with an aging Matt Ryan and Marcus Mariota who is a journeyman quarterback than Desmond Ritter is having under Arthur Smith right now. So if I'm looking at the three factors right now, it was better, 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 bad. Maybe it's, it's on Desmond Ritter, but again, that maybe either way, I'm not saying Desmond Ritter is done and I'm not saying that Arthur Smith stinks. I'm saying right now, the combination of the two stinks. I know that for a fact, I'm not, willing to say it's one or the other. I've seen Arthur Smith do some good things with some mediocre quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, And Desmond Ritter should have been playing more last year, so he wasn't coming into, and in the the preseason, should have gotten some snaps, so he wasn't coming into the season as basically a freaking rookie. Um, That's a man management problem. That is an Arthur Smith problem. So there's a lot that goes to it for sure. Now, Dane Brugler, uh, one of the rising stars, and he may have already risen, um, but you know, when we go back to when you're my age, you think Mel Kuyper, you know, he's been around forever. Dane Brugler, if you've been around less than 10 years, you're still a newbie to a guy, an old guy like me is, uh, does terrific work for the athletic with his, um, with his dra- NFL draft analyst and such. And he came out with his big list and he had a kind of a surprise number one out there. Didn't he Nick? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of surprise number one, but not if you've been, Listening to Scott and I talk this season, uh, he has quarterback Drake May from North Carolina as his number one overall player in this class. Uh, Drake May, in my opinion, has always been there neck and neck with Caleb Williams. He just doesn't have the USC pizzazz. Uh, But I mean, he was a highly recruited player. Um, He was one of the top like five in NIL before his sophomore year last year. I mean, there's people in the know have known that Drake May is a guy. Um, His family is all full of athletes too, division one athletes, youngest brother of a big group and he is probably the most NFL prototype quarterback in this class because 
his he can do stuff out of structure like he can create plays but his ability within structure within the pocket to get through reads to to just keep square in that and deliver big time throws with a very good arm uh are all there so i'm not surprised i probably still would have had caleb williams number one even though he has been struggling this season just because i mean the the juice behind the arm and the ability to deliver off platforms and the thickness that he plays with as a playmaker are all special uh, to me, but I get it. You can't have every single thing be turned into backyard football. It's almost like he's almost evolving into like what Russell Wilson is at peak Russell Wilson right now, which obviously is a volatile quarterback style, but uh, Drake may number one, not surprised at all. If I was doing this, I probably would have Marvin Harrison jr. Number one overall who ends up being, Brugler is number two player, but given positional value, Marvin Harrison Jr. shouldn't go first overall, but as a big board, probably would be for me. And then I would say, I would imagine he's got Caleb Williams number three and then Fashano number four. Uh, yes. So he okay. has uh, coming up actually, actually incorrect. Um, he has number four overall. Uh, go dogs. Uh, Brock Bowers. Mm, that makes uh, sense. Yep. That makes sense. Six, four, two forty tight end dealing with the um, ankle injury right now. Just had tight rope surgery. I think a lot of players would hang it up at this point for him, but it sounds like Brock Bowers might actually be back here to make a run. He doesn't really have anything to prove. I mean, he's won back-to-back national championships could be one of the best tight end prospects ever. I mean, sorry, uh, Falcons fans, but the, uh, the, the years doing it probably add up a little bit more than the one super supernova year from uh, Kyle Pitts that we saw with Kyle Trask there in Florida. But yeah, he has a uh, Brock Bowers going number four overall on his big board. We'll see what happens, Scott. I mean, we'll, we can de- we're going to have plenty of debates about the positional value of Brock Bowers and everything, and taking a tight end that early with the are you just punting the cap benefits of a draft pick that high when you're doing that? But it's a uh, Bowers is a different kind of player than Kyle Pitts stylistically, so it'll be fun to follow and see what he does. Yeah, if you get Travis Kelsey, you'd t- you'd be happy with using a number one overall pick. I mean, that's yeah. that that's fine if you get that guy. It's just. How many Travis Kelseys are out there? The, the the odds are hitting it. Maybe this is the guy, but that's what they said about Kyle Pitts. And Kyle Pitts has been in a situation where either through his ability or the offense around him, and I would still say the offense around him, which is why you shouldn't have drafted Kyle Pitts in 2021, has held him back. Hopefully, Brock Bowers would not go to a situation where the quarterback is so unsettled for the first three years of his career. Now, ESPN runs their football power index and they've come up with a a projected draft order and it's one Cardinals, two Bears via Carolina, three New York Giants, four Bears again with their own pick and then five Washington Commanders. Arizona sitting at number one. You go to uh, NFL mock draft database and it says Arizona taking Marvin Harrison Jr. number one overall. Is there any way that happens. I don't think it's possible uh, in this situation to do that with the demands of the quarterbacks, unless, you know, I guess anything is possible if both quarterbacks get hurt back on wood for their sakes, but then things can change obviously. Uh, but there's just going to be too much demand for that quarterback. We've already spent, you know, half the show talking about if you don't have that guy, good freaking luck, right? So teams, even though there's no guarantees about that are going to be wanting to take a shot on those guys. And right now it does seem like there's a, a very definitive line between quarterback one and two and everybody else. I mean, I listened to Dane Brugler and uh, Nate Tice talk about the draft too. They have a pretty good podcast uh, and I do a lot of dog walks. So I have time to listen to podcasts and uh, they 
they talked about how Drake Mann, Caleb Williams might be their only first round graded quarterbacks in this class. It's a deep class, but it's deep mm-hmm. in like the day two, early day three range. Uh, so going to be fun and interesting to follow uh, to see what happens. But Marvin Harrison Jr., unbelievable player. The hard part here is Scott is that it's a really deep wide receiver class too, and that there's wide receivers available a lot. So while wide receivers aren't necessarily rare, their impact is massive. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is about as sure of a thing as we've seen given his athleticism and combined with his technician uh, ability. So incredible player. I wouldn't be against it, but as a quarterback, as not a non-quarterback, I can't see it. If I'm Arizona Cardinals and I'm sitting with that draft order that I'm looking at right now, number one, again, this is on ESPN through their FPI, one Cardinals, two Bears, three Giants. I'm trying to swap places with the Giants. Mm-hmm. I think that's you, you could probably still get your guy at number three. And if the Bears do something like, hey, we're sticking with Justin Fields, we're going to take Marvin Harrison. Well, then there's still another quarterback on there, but I, I could trade down again. I could mm-hmm. I could pick up another. I could literally come out of this thing with four first round draft picks moving down. At, at least, Nick. Yeah. I would probably hope to spread those out over multiple years. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Of, of course. Yeah. Um, but it, what would it take for the Bears for the Giants to go from three to one? It would take their three and at least another first rounder. It would take your 2025 first. So you're coming out of there with two. I've got I've got um Three and a 2025. So I've got two first round picks. Yeah. All right. Well, the, the Chicago Bears decide we're sticking with Justin Fields. We're going to take Marvin. Um, I'm going to call him Marvin Williams his whole life. I swear to God, I am Marvin Harrison Jr. Well, now to go out of three, it's going to be a little more expensive. There's still one of those quarterbacks up there. And I could get three first round draft picks. I could get I could get three first round draft picks to come out of three for that last quarterback like a Trey Lance did coming out of that mm-hmm. spot. I could have five first round draft picks and still have, and, and, and still hitch my wagon to, to Kyle Murray. If that's the way they think they want to go. Um, that would be pretty amazing. That'd be a very interesting, again, that a lot of that depends on, do we want to hitch our wagon to Kyle Murray? If we don't, then you have to take your quarterback. If you're the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Tough man, tough, tough. It's uh, they could also get a lot for trading Kyler Murray too, right? He could be available and just take the quarterback. And also talking about trading former first round picks. Uh, Dave says I think Justin Fields is a dark horse trade option for the Falcons. I don't know how dark horse he is, given how much Scott and I have talked about that possibility. But there will be some quarterbacks on the move this offseason. It feels like last season was the first time we really saw this massive quarterback carousel. Really, I mean, maybe even two seasons ago. But guys are flipping. Uh, more than they have before. The issue is the elite quarterbacks on uh, with any sort of youth are typically uh, not available. It's guys that have the yeah, but uh, attached to their name. Daniel so, Jones. Yep. Daniel Jones. Uh, Kyler Murray who has, yeah, but he's been injured and he's undersized. Justin mm-hmm. Fields. It's as expensive as the top of the <clears throat> shelf. Second contract quarterbacks are. What, do I want to reset and start with a rookie and a, and a rookie deal? Or do I want to pay Daniel Jones $40 million? I know which I want to do. And I, I think I know what the Giants will want to do if they get the chance to get a quarterback in the top three this year. I mean, honestly, the just from a team building standpoint, and I don't, it's not obviously a sustainable model here, but like signing a former highly drafted quarterback that has had flashes, but is still getting that one year mercenary contract might be the move. Um, if you're looking to, 
kick the can while still being competitive for a year. And the quarterback who stands out for me, who's actually been pretty damn good statistically this season uh, overall is like Baker Mayfield, who again, not a great quarterback by any means. Russell Wilson. Russell, you but talk about just, statistics. He's got 16 touchdowns to four interceptions. The other ones are not as good, uh, but <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> The, the like guys like that, I think that would be my probably methodology for attacking the quarterback position if I didn't have the dude um, there. So that way you're not committing long and hope you get lucky. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, but what you don't want to do is commit to that elite money to a middle middle class player because that puts you in a tough situation. And then you're are you competing? Maybe barely. Uh, but then it's like, well, we're committed to him. We can't move on. Uh, so it makes it certainly uh, certainly very tough. You've used the Andy Dalton reference a lot when talking mm-hmm. about you know doing really well when you've got a cheap quarterback who's playing well, and then when he starts eating up more of your cap, he's not good enough to elevate cheaper players around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's he's one that comes to mind. You could probably come up with a more recent pertinent uh, option as well, but you just you don't want to commit to good quarterbacks paying them elite money. Uh, that just makes it really really tough. Uh, for those guys like the Saints paying Derek Carr all that money. Derek Carr's an awesome quarterback. I mean, he really is, you know, consistently been top 12, good arm, um, but you're paying him big money. You're attached to him. Russell Wilson, I mean, uh, the cap hits are going to be big, and now you're kind of stuck there. So not, it's it's a tough situation for that. There's just not a middle-class quarterback market, really. John Harrell comes in. <clears throat> he says, I saw a mock draft where the Atlanta Falcons got Colorado's Shador Sanders. I'm not a fan of his. Um, where does Brugler have Shador Sanders in this list, if at all? Because he's Sand- not for sure that he's coming out. Sanders does make the list. He is at number 24 overall, 6'2", 215 quarterback. Uh, he's had some pretty good moments out here. And I don't, uh, John, maybe you don't like his play style, but one thing you cannot question about Sanders is that that guy is freaking tough because that Colorado line, it, it reminds me of not Derek Carr, David Carr versus the Texans. I mean, he is getting lit up uh, playing that style of offense behind what Colorado has as a pretty damn poor offensive line. So Sanders, the ability to play, I'm almost worried that he's going to develop some scar tissue in the league because he's taking so many hits right now that it's going to mess with his process. He's not going to trust his line and look to bail early, but he's been playing tough. He's been delivering very catchable balls. Uh, his arm is just okay. He's, he's enough of a runner to be a scramble. I don't think he's a true playmaker in space with the ball in his hands, but He's a good quarterback, um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he did come out in this class if he got a mid to late first round selection. I think somebody would take him uh, there. Yeah, he's, he's graded around thirty. You know where yeah. you, you see him. If he's twenty four, the Falcons, if they're drafting somewhere, let's say they they finish the season around ten and seven and make a playoff, they'll be drafted in the twenties. Then taking Shador Sanders in that area is certainly not a reach. Um, what about what looking at this list? What would you consider the strength of this class in the first round? You know, outside of the top two quarterbacks, you mentioned there's some depth at wide receiver. How about some in the trenches, defensive side of the ball? What would you consider the strength? It's an offensive draft, just across the board. It is unbelievable at offense. Um, this top 50 is littered with quarterbacks, it's littered with wide receivers, and it's littered with offensive tackles. So there is going to be value to be had at the premium positions on the offense. I don't see, uh, there's a couple of tackles who might kick inside, um, like Barton from, uh, Duke, who's a really, really good technical player. Uh, but not, not, no running backs really worth the top 50. I'd be surprised. Maybe we have 
three or four drafted in the top 100. It's just not a really, really talented class, in my opinion, at running back. And uh, tight end falls off an absolute cliff after Brock Bowers uh, this season. But wide receiver, offensive tackle, and quarterback are amazing. I think there are uh, 10 to 12 wide receivers in his top 50. I think there are about 8 to 10 offensive tackles, and I think 7 or 8 quarterbacks listed in this top 50. There's just... Uh, very offensive heavy class and not a very good defensive class. We're only about 12 weeks away from the senior bowl. Uh-huh. We're, I mean, we're there. I'm like, yeah. I'm thinking I, I, I got to get my credential. <laughs> it's got to be getting close. That's come. I got to start making plans. That's coming up fast. Time's coming. It's close. Dave has a good question. Guys, what high-end play caller is not an egomaniac? Don't they almost have to be egomaniacs uh, to a certain extent? Um, but a lot of the coordinators they're mad scientists to a certain extent, especially if you go down to the college level, they don't want to be head coaches because they don't want to have to deal with the BS. They don't want to have to recruit. They don't want to have to deal with alumni. They just want to coach. That's what they want to do. And they, and they end up terminal at the coordinator position. But some of the guys that came to mind for me, Dave, Andy Reed, I don't consider him an egomaniac. He's a very good offensive play guy. Um, Mike McDaniel is very different. I don't consider him an egomaniac because he's been humbled through, uh, addiction. You know, you spend mm-hmm. some time going through, uh, recovery. It's hard to be too big of an egomaniac. And I think one of the most low key, really, really good offensive minds in this game right now is Shane Steichen, Indianapolis mm-hmm. Colts. And he certainly is not an egomaniac, mm-hmm. at least, you know, he might be, but they hide it well, which if you're self-aware enough to put on a good show and seem humble, then you're not an egomaniac. So, but Shane Steichen is a guy there, but th- those are just three off the top of my head. So it, there's a lot of different people. These guys all have egos. It's the only way they make it to the very top of their game, of their profession. They're all very confident, very, but they're not all brash, cocky. In fact, sometimes I feel like those are the ones that are, thou dost protest too much and you're trying to fool people like the Josh McDaniels of the world, like the Charlie Weisses of the world. Um, are we compensating for something here? Yeah, that you're that you really are. You're the emperor with no clothes. I've been there once. Not a good place to be. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a pretty fun uh, overall big board uh, for Dane here. If you're looking for offensive tackle, quarterback, or wide receiver, this does to seem to be a pretty good year. Uh, continuing through his top. Uh, 10 here. We mentioned Brock Bowers at four. Then you get your big two class tackles in this class. Olu Fashanu at uh, five, Joe Alt at six. I would have Olu above uh, Alt, but there is some, t- there is some rumblings that Alt has some fans as offensive tackle one. I just don't think he's as flexible. I have some issues with him being a little bit of a, a stiff, if you will, um, given his size. Uh, he's a six, seven, three twenty. just doesn't move the way Olu does after that uh, seven. There's a, I think there's a line, after that top six there personally, then you get Dallas Turner first defensive player off the board at seven uh, edge rusher from Alabama. Keon Coleman, who's had an unbelievable year at Florida state this season uh, coming in at eight wide receiver from um, Florida state via Michigan state transfer portal guy this year. He's, I mean, if you haven't had a chance to watch Keon Coleman highlights this year, uh, do yourself a favor and plug it in. Just type it in YouTube. Obviously highlights. There's no way to scout, uh, but it's a lot of fun to watch him play. He's an unbelievable player. Uh, then you have um, eight, nine overall, Leatu Latu, uh, edge rusher from UCLA. He's going to be very interesting because he had to medically retire from Washington due to a neck injury. Transfers to UCLA gets cleared to play in his plane, but his 
medicals are going to be very concerning and fun to follow. And then 10 overall, you got offensive tackle J.C. Latham, who is erratic, but interesting because he is 6'6", 360, and he does not move like a 360 guy. He moves like a 320 kind of guy, 330 guy. And I mean, that's that makes a difference in the NFL when you're that big. There's always a little bit of, you know, can sometimes there can be concerns because for every Dewan Jones, who is playing great football for the Browns right now, who's an absolute unit as well at right tackle, there's a Falele. You remember him from Minnesota, who's just way too big and, you know, not coordinated enough. Or even um, the fourth highest video ever of, of, of views is this, this monster, 400 yeah. pound monster on my YouTube channel. Not very good, though. Uh, but, and then also you have, uh, uh, Mackay Becton, who was big, massive athlete, but just injured constantly with the, the size and stuff. So it's interesting to follow. But yeah, another three offensive tackles in the top 10, two wide receiver, three wide receivers. I'll put in Brock Bowers at wide receiver, honest to God, and then to quarterbacks. I have one player I want to ask you about because he's I've seen him starting to get some love here lately is uh, LSU wide receiver uh, Malik Neighbors. Where is he coming in on Dane and, and what do you think about him? I think the battle from for wide receiver two in this class, not putting Brock Bowers in the box there is a 1A, 1B, 1C situation where I would be most happy not having to pick from them and just taking the last one available. Right. <laughs> it's that situation. They're all slightly different, uh, but you have uh, obviously Keon Coleman, who's this big X uh, acrobat, can do stuff after the catch. I mean, they have Keon Coleman returning freaking punts, Scott, and he's like 6'4", <laughs> 215. It's bizarre to watch, but he's a playmaker. Um, Malik Neighbors for LSU has been awesome this season, explosive. I cannot wait Cannot wait. You guys get your popcorn. LSU, Alabama this weekend. Uh, you have Kool-Aid McKinstry, who's the number one cornerback for Dane Brugler versus Malik Neighbors, who's anywhere from wide receiver two to four, depending on who you ask. The other name that's worth mentioning, Scott, is uh, Adunza from uh, Washington, 6'3", 220. I saw him play live, Washington versus Oregon, and he put that Oregon guy who we were you know, saying, oh, this guy's got some pretty good tape, made him look foolish. Uh, in, in that game. So uh, any of those uh, wide receivers could end up being wide receiver too. Dane does have neighbors as wide receiver four technically, but you have Keon eight uh, Roma Dunza uh, at 11 and then Malik neighbors coming in at 13. So it's, it's a tight right. cluster there. Yeah. That's when you start looking, it's like, don't ask me about the order. Well, you've got this guy ranked at 20. I'm like, yeah, but flip a coin between 19, between 11 and 20. It's the same guy. I have to put them in some order. Yeah, and if you're looking for like a true X on the boundary, the guy with some size and length, then you're going Keon Coleman. If you're looking for somebody who can do a little bit of both inside, outside, but physical, can do some big slot stuff, you're probably looking for Roma Dunza. If you're looking for somebody who's a little bit more built like uh, DJ Moore, who's more of a Z, can do some yak stuff, a little bit more of an explosive athlete, you're probably looking at Malik Neighbors. It's flavors of ice cream, Scott. We use that reference a lot, but uh, we're a Neapolitan right now. You digging for the strawberry, the chocolate, the vanilla? I like them all. I don't really care. Give me whatever one's the last one there. I'll be happy. I'm a scoop right between that strawberry and chocolate for me. I want a little of both. Um, Chris Jenkins. Hello there. I want to say hello. Uh, came in a little bit late. Glad you're here. Um, he says, if Sean Payton, if you're Sean, Sean Payton stay with Russ, what's the first position of need would you take in the draft? Now we're going to say, you know, obviously it, it depends on who is the best player available because you can fit a guy in at any of those positions. The, the, the Broncos need playmakers across the board. Mm -hmm. But let's just say you've got five guys that are all equal, Nick, on, on your board at wide receiver, at edge, at corner, at offensive tackle. Where would you go? I mean, it's so hard to say right now, not to just totally derail us here, but like 
are Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton here? What does that look like? I mean, they've been they've been in the trade market here year after year after year. Uh, if one of those guys is gone, wide receiver moves way up uh, for me. Uh, you're stuck with the offensive tackle stuff, uh, and you also you're stuck with your guards as well. I mean, I, I think right now Scott Garrett Bowles has played well enough that I'm not looking to just to create a hole, just to create a hole, uh, especially because he probably has three to five more years of good play, theoretically, given his age. So I don't know about that. I probably would lean edge here just to get another guy in there, especially with the the contracts um, of Jonathan Cooper and Baron Brownie. Next year is their last year of control, so you're going to have to turn over that room a good bit anyway, so get another guy in there, uh, add a log to the fire, if you will, to keep that position healthy and talented and uh, cost-controlled as well. Uh, that stands out for me, but honestly, Scott, the ones that stand out for me, if I was going to look for it, you're talking first round here, I still am on the interior defensive line train, if that's at all possible. Just somebody who has a little bit of flexibility there. DJ Jones will be on the last year of his contract. Zach Allen can't do it alone. I've seen enough of Jonathan Harris now to know that I'm not a big fan of what he's bringing to the table overall. I think Hennessy can be fine. Hennessing can be fine as a like your last <laughs> interior defensive lineman off the board or off the uh, off the rotation Hennison. there. But uh, Hennison. Matt Hennison and Matt Hennessy confusing a Falcon between the Falcons and Broncos. Here, I'm going to cut you off on this, Nick, because, Chris, what I think is how this board's going to end up falling, it'll probably end up being a wide receiver. Between the thing, between the, the strength of this draft and that Judy, is, it could very possibly be traded. And Sutton, you're going to have to work out something with that contract, probably, whether it's a trade or a restructure or whatnot. I think it's going to end up being a wide receiver based on best player available, where in that, that range you end up picking, or an offensive tackle. I just don't, I'd like it to be an edge, but I don't think it's going to be corner possibly, but it feels like the strength of this draft would be a, a big need at wide receiver, Nick. Yeah. I'm dating back. What year was, uh, Sean Payton's first year in, uh, in new Orleans. I don't even know. I don't um, remember. I've looked it up a hundred times. Well, um, dating back to 2007, uh, they're, they've only taken a wide receiver in the first round twice and both of them were kind of late-ish first 2006 round was his first year okay so they took uh robert meacham if you guys remember him from tennessee uh 27 overall and then they also ended up taking uh guy who's been on so many teams now brandon cooks at 20th overall so they have taken some wide receivers but this has been a team that's been very offensive tackle cornerback defensive line those are the areas that they've really attacked in the draft now is that mickey is that a mickey loomis thing is that a sean payton thing We'll find out, I guess, over time when data happens. But they haven't really gone after wide receiver round one. It's been more of a day two position for them. We'll see where they end up. But I, I would think based on the draft, where it stands, I would go wide receiver or probably cornerback. Um, I would like it to be cornerback or edge. Uh, but I don't know that the value is going to be there when the Broncos pick. And a lot of it too, Scott, I think is going to depend on what happens with Russell Wilson. Uh, if you are keeping Russell Wilson, your cornerback and your wide receiver plays are much more... But then that's that was it was Chris said that Russ Russ is going to be there. Otherwise, it's quarterback. It's a quarterback, or it could be if you don't love the quarterback there. I could see a situation where you really are kicking the can for a season. Maybe you draft a guy round four, um, and you run with Jarrett Stidham for a year. Uh, Just be, and it's not going to be pretty, but you're having to get over that Russell Wilson dead cap hit. And in that case, I'm either all in on the offense or trenches in general. I mean, we've seen it with offensive linemen and especially defensive tackle too. It typically takes two to three seasons, you know, really to see them start to come into their own. And if you're dealing with that Russell Wilson dead cap hit stuff anyway, you're going to stink probably anyway. 
have that developmental year be one of those uh, years when it's you know, you're still a couple years off competing, and then by the time they're really coming into their own, that's when you should be ready to go, start spending money, and be aggressive. So it really does come down to what happens with Wilson. Keith asked a question. I can't remember, but was Puka Nakua on your radar last year? Not for me. I didn't see him at Senior Bowl, and I don't remember him coming out. I watched him a little bit. Uh, he had injury history, so he was a little bit low for me, and he looked, you know, kind of okay at everything. I remember him at uh, Washington as well. He was actually on a team they had, uh, I think, Mac- McMillan and uh, Odunza and Puka Nakua, who then transferred to BYU. Um, so did not watch too much of him. I'll be honest, you know, once you get to those round four, round five guys, uh, unless we're doing, if I was doing draft full time, probably would have gotten to him, but doing the Broncos Falcons real life on top of the draft, it's uh, hard to get to every single one. But, uh, no, I, I knew a Puka did not spend much time evaluating him or scouting him. Um, Brandon's going to be our last question here. Asks us about it, where the Falcons are scheduled to draft. Could there be a pass rusher in there? Um, chop Robinson could be in that area. Um, kid from Ohio state, JT Tuamalu. Mm-hmm. If Latu falls, he could be there. Uh, Braylon Trice is someone I've seen mocked out of Washington. So there will that's about where the pass rushers are going to be, Nick. They're not going to be high-end first-rounders. They could be back-end first-rounders, like a George Karloftis type, who has turned into a very good player for the Kansas City Chiefs. You know how much I loved Karloftis, Scott. I know. Uh, he mocked at eight a couple times to, to yeah. the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, he's good. Uh, a name that I you know, I would not sleep on with the Falcons. He was considered a top 10 pick entering the season. He's kind of fallen a bit to a range where I think his talent matches more mid-first round, you know, that uh, 15 to 23 range. Uh, but Jared Verse still makes a lot of sense for the Falcons. He's got, you know, rock'em, sock'em robot hands, you know, just kind of bat- bats guys around. He's not always the best finisher, but you're, you're a team that's definitely more of the pocket-crunching variety here with strength and trying not to blitz when you can. And I think Verse brings that ability to 6'4", 260, uh, has multiple years now of uh, contribution as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just this one-year wonder by any means. So, yeah, he stands out. Uh, he's be one I'd keep an eye on. There's some other interesting names uh, further down the list here, too, that could stand out. I mean, we know that Edge is very much a athletic position. So maybe somebody you know kills it at the Combine, and you're like, oh, wow, well, let's bet on that. Uh, Brugler also has Chris Braswell from Alabama, the other edge rusher. 32 overall, so keep an eye on him. Jack Sawyer from Ohio State, the other uh, Ohio State one, 6'4", 265. He's interesting. Uh, kind of an inside-outside guy uh, who might be worth following here. You got Rook Orohuro. Yes, I said that right. Rook Orohuro um, from Texas. He's 6'4", 285, so he's, he's a little bit of an inside-outside guy. And uh, I know there's also some interest in uh, Landon Jackson uh, from <laughs> Arkansas, who's 6'7", 270. So there's some there's some fun guys there. Yes, and that's for me. Pass rusher is still the biggest weakness outside of uh, the quarterback and offensive line, but not in the offensive play overall for the Atlanta Falcons mm-hmm. is edge. For one guy, take quarterback out of the equation, pass rushing edge is still the biggest weakness on this team. So we'll see how that one goes. Keith Brugman says, Thank you so much, Scott and Nick. Really appreciate Coast to Coast NFL Fridays. It's our pleasure. Thank you. I want to say thank you to those who supported the show today. Dave came in with a super chat. Jackie came in with a super sticker, Troy with a super chat, and Michael with a big orange uh, super chat to help support the show. Uh, That is the most direct way to support the things that Nick and I do. We are going to get out of here now. It's time to get going. We will be back on Monday. We will talk uh, the Falcons podcast first, and then we will have Broncos for breakfast after. We might go a little bit longer on the Falcons podcast since they're playing, and it's a bye week for the Broncos. But we'll be back at 9 o'clock on any of these channels that you're watching right now. 
If you haven't already, hit the like and subscribe and share. Make sure you get those notifications so when you know we're going to be live because we like it when you're here. We appreciate the interaction. Looking forward to some good uh, football. Got some baseball games tomorrow. I'm actually kind of excited about those. And then uh, a big weekend. I think they're going to be over in time to come back and watch LSU in Alabama. So that could be a lot of fun. Uh, Nick, any last words before we get out of here? I just want to give another shout out to Dane Brugler for helping provide some of the uh, content for us to talk about today. Um, top 50, obviously it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty volatile. Um, still, we got a lot of data to collect still and guys to watch, uh, but some interesting names too. I know we got a lot of Falcons fans in here and by way of that, a lot of, uh, Georgia Bulldogs too. some surprising Bulldogs making the list here, Scott, at the very end, uh, we have Ladd McConkey wide receiver, 5'11, 185, but man, that guy's just always open. What a tough player for them. I've appreciated Ladd McConkey there. And then he also has Carson Beck making it at 50 overall. He's only played eight games. Um, but Beck is, uh, I have not watched much Georgia this season, but, uh, excited can, to turn into can, that. You get a chance to watch Georgia late. They play a lot longer than everybody else. I think they play <laughs> Missouri this week too. Um, and Missouri's feisty. I think Missouri's going to go in and, you know, get beat by 21, but that's a good Mizzou team, um, overall. And if you have a chance, if you're watching that game, check out, uh, this is you know way too early, but, uh, probably your consensus 2025, Wide receiver one is on the Missouri Tigers in Luther Burden the third. He has been unbelievable. I mean, he's not Marvin Harrison, but like, God damn, he's an awesome player. Uh, so check out the Missouri Tigers, Luther Burden, if you're watching the Dogs versus uh, the Tigers this week. Yeah, we start hitting draft. Nick start getting gets starts getting all feisty. So uh, appreciate everybody being here. Thank you again to our super chat supporters and everybody else for hitting that like, subscribe, and share. And and we enjoy all of the interaction in the chat. That's why we do this live. Otherwise, uh, follow us on Twix and Twitter, and you will get the Apple, the uh, the the podcast version. So if you want to listen to it after the fact too. But on that note, we're going to get out of here. Enjoy your football Fridays. Thanks for being here, everybody. Peace.